Hello out there, everybody. Welcome to the third episode of the Artist of Motion podcast. This episode features Grandmaster Armando Deloa of the International Karate Connection Association. With respect to Grandmaster Deloa, I have to take a minute to tell everyone how much I personally admire this man. Grandmaster Deloa has faced some significant health challenges, including diabetes, blindness for a year, and now amputation of a foot. For a martial artist of any lineage, any of those conditions would be career-threatening. They're bad enough for someone who has no training history. From each setback, Grandmaster Deloa has come back to train and accomplish his goals. He perseveres and sets the example for his lineage to follow with a positive attitude, determination, and a goal-oriented approach to his daily life. He talks about the importance of consistency and how important it is to stay positive and continue your path until you reach your goals, and then to find new ones. All right, enough of my intro time. Let's hear from Grandmaster Armando Deloa. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Artists of Motion. Today I have a special guest who is a wonderful human being in addition to being an extremely gifted martial artist and an outstanding teacher. I met him in 2003 in San Jose where he kicked me in for my IKCA orange belt. He studied for 40 plus years in multiple lineages of martial arts and has been teaching for over 35 years. Presently holding the title of Grandmaster 10th Degree Black Belt, we have today Grandmaster Armando Deloa of Deloa's Kempo Karate and the International Karate Connection Association, where he also holds the title of IKCA Certified Instructor. Welcome today, sir. I'm glad to have you here on our podcast. How are you today? Doing fine. Welcome, and thank you very much for inviting me. It's definitely my pleasure. So can you, for those of us who are unfamiliar with your history, can you give us a little bit of background on who you are and where you've done and what you've studied? Sure. In 1972, I began studying martial arts at the age of four years old, um, with my actually with my mother, who was training with an FBI agent at that time, um, learning Shotokan karate at that time. I trained with her up until about 11 years old, which was about 1979. And in between the training, did a little bit of training here and there with little different things as, as a young child, and then in '79 began. Uh, learning Kempo Karate uh, under uh, Lee's Martial Arts in San Jose, California. And then also with Joe Meyer, Karate Ways, uh, Karate Ways uh, International, or no, Karate Ways of San Jose, California. And uh, ranked with them up until, uh, well, Orange Belt with Lee's and with Joe Meyer, uh, Third Degree Brown. And then got uh, to my black belt uh, through uh, Mr. Williams. Um, I can't recall where he was at, but uh, did did uh, rank through him uh, to my first degree black, and then my second degree held my first degree black probably for about two, three, four years, probably about four years, and then probably another three years or whatever uh, in the third degree. And that's when I ran into Chuck Sullivan in, uh, uh, at a gym, actually. They were doing a tournament and started training with them and um, went through the entire Karate Connection Association and been with them ever since. That's a quite a, big, a good history there in uh, Kempo with us. So, uh, the, I, Actually, you said something there I wasn't 100% familiar with. So you spent quite a bit of time up here in San Jose. It's my neck of the woods. Yeah, I was I was raised in San Jose uh, from 
1980s to well, in the to the mid 80s, late 80s, I should say. Then I moved back up to the Los Angeles area, and in that time, I was going back and forth uh, training still. And uh, then when I moved down here to the Los Angeles area, uh, I had stopped training because I had gotten an injury in uh, 1991, got a little injury, and I stopped training for a little bit but kept practicing and uh, finally met with Mr. Sullivan and uh, Mr. LaRue. I can't recall the exact year that I met with them when I got my orange belt with them. Um but I know it wasn't long after I met them that I started training with them with Mr. Eddie Boos and uh, stood with them and, and got promoted from the rank I was already at and continued moving up the ladder. Then got my 10th degree in uh, on July 10th of, uh, I believe it was 2011. Same day as uh, and, Mr. Singer, if my memory, if my memory serves. Yes, with Mr. Singer. And he'll be appearing on this podcast day. soon too, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, same day, same exact day, actually. And uh, been teaching, still teaching, just a uh, little held back a little bit, but still able to teach a little bit and um, haven't been able to do much until after all my situation here. <laughs> but other than that, ran two schools in, in this area, one in Bell Gardens, um, years slipped my mind, but I think it was in 90, 98 to 99 to 2000. Then I was in Bellflower in 2000. And that's where I got most of my black belts um, promoted, the ones that came up under me. I've met several yeah. of them. Every one of your black belts are all just really true, respectful, you know, amazing human beings in their own right. Yes, yes, very good men, very good men. I know they're all, they're all proud of their instructor as you are of them. Yes, very much so. Very much proud of them. They did. They did well. And if I, if memory serves, you guys also uh, did really well in the tournament scene down in SoCal, right? Yes, and uh, the first Karate Connection, we're the ones who won the gold medal. The only gold medal that was um, given was run won by Ronnie Rodriguez, uh, who was one of my black belts, and um, he also got a silver medal, I think, in that one. Kenny Kane, and I, I, a couple of my students got the, the silver one after that. And then um, when it came to the fighting uh, uh, parts, most of the guys won through that as well. And, um, and then we did the seminars. We also worked with the seminars, and uh, our part of the seminar was all fighting. Um, because uh, we had the application for it at that time, and um, that was my whole, my whole, in karate ways. Our school was a fighting school. There was seven seven schools. Our school was number one fighters in the San Jose area at that time, and we would compete against Wolfpack, against uh, uh, Ernie Reyes, senior West Coast Taekwondo's all of the gentlemen out there and uh, competed with a lot of them at that time when I was in the Karate Ways Association. And then I had what I had, so I just imparted it to the guys, and uh, hopefully they'll impart it to others. Now, they're all stand-up guys, and uh, they had a great teacher to learn from, so I'm looking forward to seeing where they're going to go too. Yeah. 
But uh, not just the Karate Connection tournament, though. If I remember correctly, uh, uh, at least one of your guys used to go to just about every tournament they could get to and uh, take home some type of medal or trophy, right? Yeah, we had one who was – he learned Karate Connection, but he didn't go too far in it. He just learned all the techniques, but his – um, he just loved tournament fighting, and he won the internationals continuously, Las Vegas nationals as well. And uh, uh, Efren Palacios was also uh, taking home the trophies for the Karate Connection Association at that time as well. And uh, he would go in and he would uh, fight in the other tournaments. And we tried to make a name for the Karate Connection in the fighting area because at that time, no one was really getting into the tournament scene. Um, and uh, after we started winning the tournaments, I guess several people started getting confident, which was really good. We were hoping we could do that and get people confident and, and get out there and start exposing Karate Connection in, in tournaments <laughs> more. And we were kind of the first ones to actually get out there. And um, uh, what's his name? I can't remember his name. Um, uh, I forgot his name. He would throw he would throw the tournaments every year. His name slips me. And then out the Long Beach Nationals as well, internationals, uh, Ed Parker's internationals. Uh, they would do really well there. Uh, we'd have the team fighters, our team fighters, our women fighters, and um, they would do well and uh, place in those tournaments, first and second place in those tournaments. Um, and then the Las Vegas Nationals, uh, it was Marwin Mejia that won the national on that one. But I got the center stage at the end, so <laughs> I had to show I had to show my guys who's still the boss. <laughs> so uh, they, I have they a, me props. I have a distinct memory of uh, the one time I was able to make it out to your Bellflower School and got to work out with your guys and. I have a distinct memory of getting Efren specifically, and I got him in one good moment and had him complete hip toss takedown. I'm throwing this kid, and I'm bent over. You know, he's already heading towards the ground. The next thing I knew, he was on top of me, and I was on the ground. I still haven't figured out how he did that. <laughs> he had that was one of his favorites, his hip toss, and then they thought they got him, and then he would toss them from there. And I, even to this very day, I'm not sure how he would do it. Yeah, I've looked back on video on that thing in slow-mo, and literally I'm on my feet, and he hits the ground, and then comes back up on top of me. And I didn't get thrown. He just auto-rotated the other direction somehow. I can't figure out how he did that, but it was amazing. He, he did it with a Hapkido, uh, one of the grandmasters from the Hapkido, real famous guy, his main fighter. Because at the end, he grabbed Efren's hand and, and you know shook it, and then tossed him, but <laughs> when he tossed him, he ended up flipping the guy over. That was in Las Vegas. That was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was really good. Uh, he's, Efren is just a yeah, sweetheart so, of a kid, too. I, mean, I say kid. He's not a kid anymore. Yeah. But, you know, he, he is just a sweetheart of a no. human being. He's one of the nicest guys on the yeah. planet. And, you know, absolutely just will give you the shirt off of his back and as much as he can possibly do to help you out. But. Yeah, you get out of line too many times, and he's going to remind you why he's the teacher at that point. So (laughs) I have a strong suspicion he got that from his teacher. Yeah, most likely. (laughs) Most likely. Where is he at these days? Sorry? Where's Efren at these days? 
Uh, right now, he's he, he, uh, he's got his family, his little family going, and uh, he's working. He's thinking about getting uh, opening a school up and uh, training fighters. So he might pop up. Um, <clears throat> we're hoping he gets ready to test. I was supposed to get him prepared for his next degree, but that's when I got a little under the weather uh, the last couple of months. So we'll kind of postpone it until I can get back on my feet. But um, he just needs to do the form. But <laughs> he always, on that form, there's one spot he always turns around, and Mr. Sullivan always says, you turned around on that one. <laughs> he did it again. <laughs> he always turns on one spot. <laughs> but he um, he's doing well. He still trains. Most of the guys uh, still train. Very proud of them. They still train. Uh, Ricky, he still trains. He's very slow, and that, and and and, and you know, and what I mean by slow is that he just practices here and there. Archie, I believe, still trains. He does really well. He teaches now too, and and uh, Efren trains. He's got a couple of students, and then um, I got a couple of new guys who are brown belt level going to black, but. Uh, well, they're waiting for me to get back on my feet. So, but uh, they're coming up the ladder, right hopefully on. soon. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, we're excited to see you get and, back uh, on your feet too. So, so what have you trained in besides yeah. Kempo? I, I know there's a lot of stuff in there, so let's hear about it. Yes, sir. I uh, throughout the years when I was very young, probably beginning with the age of 13, I've then Hapkido, Ninjutsu, Taekwondo, Tungsudo. The Taekwondo and the Tungsudo, well, actually the Taekwondo was from Ernie Reyes Sr. and Cynthia Rothrock. I don't know if you're familiar with those names. Oh, yeah. Um, when I was very young, trained with them and did all my kicks. That's where I got all the kicks from. I probably have 42 different type of combinational kicks that I that I counted so far, the different kicks, not the same. They're all different. And some of them for the Hapkido, uh, most Hapkido and then the Tungsudo, uh, Taekwondo, you know, systems. Because when I was growing up, it was just the Taekwondo guys in the San Jose, so we fought West Coast all the time. They'd come to our gym, we'd go to theirs, and, uh, you know, we'd go out in the swap meet and watch Ernie Reyes Jr. do his demonstrations and come to this high schools. He would do his demonstration. Then uh, he got chosen for the Ninja Turtles, and somehow we parted in friendship in that area. <laughs> he became famous, <laughs> which I probably would have had. But anyway, that's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, a, it, was a, it was a throw up between him and I at that time. Um, but... Uh, uh, bless his heart. I, ho- I hope he's doing fine. But um, trained in ninjutsu uh, throughout the years. Training in jitsu. Judo was one of the uh, systems that we studied as well. My instructor was a black belt in judo as well as kempo. Uh, but it wasn't a Ed Parker kempo. We studied the Traco system, which was Tracy and Connor system. And uh, it was kind of it was good. Until I saw how Parker, because we never knew anything about Parker. We were never even told that there was Parker. So we were kind of kept in the dark. We learned how to fight, and that's what we did. But we never really got into the the whole Ed Parker. Of course, there was no internet back then. So, you know, you train, you didn't really pay attention to anything else. 
it wasn't until I moved to Los Angeles that I started recognizing, wait a minute, who are these Kempo guys? And it was Parker. And I thought to myself, you know, I want to learn that because in the tr- what I studied, which was a Tracy and Connor system, there was no checks. There was no hand checks. There was no knee checks. There was nothing. It was just you throw out, you know, you throw a punch and you do a movement, but there was no, I mean, it was just really off. And uh, it wasn't and when I first came to Karate Connection my first night. Um, and, of course, I did everything with Tracy's and, and Connor. Uh, they put me in the semicircle, and Chuck said, Armando, go ahead and do what you've been taught. Now, at that time, you know, I was like, okay, cool. But at that time, I was in the middle of revising the Tracy's and the Connor system, what I learned. And I was, um, just by reading the Parker books, which I had gotten, and I started reading, I said, wait, we don't have those checks. So I started implementing checks, started implementing hand checks into what I was doing, and I was eliminating the 27 techniques down to five techniques, six techniques. So just like the Karate Connection, I had no idea (laughs) whatsoever. So I was doing all of this by myself in my dojo when I was in Bell Gardens. And then when I finally met Chuck Sullivan, he said, go ahead and and, and, – I'm just going to point, you go ahead and do what you, you've been taught. So I did. And um, he would just point and they would do something. And I would do the stuff that I knew, but the stuff that I knew worked. Mm-hmm. So Chuck turned to me and he said, Armando, you're the first Tracy guy that I know <laughs> has done these <laughs> techniques that actually work. <laughs> That's what he told me, you know. I said okay, and then so when they did the they did the freestyle, that even surprised them more, because they thought well he can't possibly do good at freestyle, because you know they're Tracy guys. That's you know that's the kind of thought that I had back then. What they were thinking of, I'm gonna I'm gonna show them that we were a fighting school, and I had a very unorthodox way of standing, and when the guy that was sparring me the first night came in. The way that I stood with a, a reverse neutral bow, you know how you do a neutral bow. Uh, I did a reverse neutral bow, and he came in and I just kicked him real good. And then as he went back, he came in again and I did a spinning back knuckle. And Vic was, I haven't seen that in years. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just the way I did it. And the guy bounces off the wall, comes at me again. And I do another spinning back knuckle, and it knocks him to the floor. So that was the first night that they realized this guy is not a joke. And I took it very serious because my Kempo training, when I was very young, and this is not a joke, you can even verify it with my mother. (laughs) 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 You're going to really, it was probably, I trained, if I wasn't in school and it was summer, I trained probably about 12 to 15 hours a day. If it was in school, I trained, I'd get up at 3 a.m., train to about 6 a.m., go to school and start training from about 4 p.m. to about 9, 10 at night. That's what, that's what I trained. So it was a constant training for me, Monday through Saturdays. I took Sundays off to rest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got to have uh, one day where you sleep, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but my parents were so uh, afraid. They said, this guy doesn't eat. He, did, he goes in the garage, and that's all he does. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I mean, some people are like, I don't believe it. You can give my mom a call. She'll tell you. But um, <laughs> but uh, 
you know, when I did my techniques in my dojo when I was a young kid, we had 27 techniques, variations to each of the techniques. I could do them both sides in the corner, blindfolded. I could do them in any direction because I practiced that much. So when I started Karate Connection and it was lesser techniques, I said, this is great. I really like this because you don't need a manual. You don't need a booklet. You 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 do the form and you're doing all the techniques. That was the that was the best thing that I liked so much about karate connection. I could just rank off the techniques without even like thinking about it. And so when I trained Efren and Archie and all of them, I could do the techniques with them and we'd go about four or five hours just practicing techniques. And then we'd do the form, uh, the continuous form for about an hour, break about 15 minutes and another hour, break about 15 minutes and another hour. And that's how I trained them. And all my guys, by the time they were finished doing the form, they were just laying on the floor. <laughs> you know, a bunch of, bunch of students just laying yeah, I remember on the floor. posting up on that wall at the, uh, at the Bellfire school. I was, I was very happy to sit against that wall and we got done. That was a great <laughs> workout. Yeah. And, and that's how I trained That's how I trained them because I wanted them to be the best. My whole goal when I was a kid was to be better than Bruce Lee. That was the reason why I trained that way. I trained really intense, and it was, I wanted to be the best in the world. That was my goal. And, uh, you know, life just takes you the way it does, and you don't get to, you don't get to go. But at least that was a good goal. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I set myself sure. in a direction. Yeah, and it was a passion um, you know, my mother taught me and I wanted to make her proud and show her what her son could do. And when she first, she never took, ne- never saw any belt test. She never knew anything what I did at the dojo, but she came to my brown belt test and she said, son, she goes, when I did my brown belt, th- this, my brown belt was like buttercups compared to what you did. <laughs> she, she was like, oh my God, they're going to kill my son. <laughs> because in those days, they literally punched you in the face, and if you had a knife, you better. You know, they, I've seen them, you know, poke people with the knife. You know, <laughs> my instructor came at me with a a knife for a technique called cobra and the mongoose, and and I broke his wrist. I was only about, you know, twelve or thirteen. At well, that I mean, he time. came at you with a knife, so you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he showed me the technique, came at me. And then that's the intensity that we had in those days. I know it sounds kind of real roughage, you know, but you know what? It made me who I am as a karate connection instructor today. And it shows. It shows with a lot of people that, wow, you know, there was a lot of hard work. And, you know, even even the way when I was even overweight, people were just really impressed with the movement because, you know, uh, with all the injuries and the things that I've had, I was able to adapt to all my injuries. When I was uh, two years ago, when I was going into the eye surgery, I literally did my form practically, I was blind in my right eye completely, and my left eye was going blind until my surgery, and I literally did the form and do the techniques, and my students were like, how do you know we're coming at you? I said, I can hear you. How do you train like that? I said, I used to train like that when I was a kid. But it seemed impossible until they actually saw it, mm-hmm. until they actually saw it, me actually doing it. And, uh, and that was part of the ninjutsu training that I had in those days. You know, 
I was able to apply. I don't know if I want to say too much because then people are going to be like, this guy's a joke. <laughs> you know? well, I've been on the mat with it you. Sounds... And I've, I've been in your classes that you taught, and I can vouch for that. And there's a whole lot of other people that will as well. So you know what? We don't care about the people that want to downplay. Yeah. We only care about the people that are positive. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, yeah. So anyway, you know. <laughs> this podcast ain't for those guys if they're not happy with it. So go away. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So it was a lot of hard work, and uh, training Efren and Archie and all them was not easy. They 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 went through some real tough stuff for their belt test, and you know even though Karate Connections test was a little you know 30 minutes, and it, I added a little bit of flavor to it to to make them feel that they burned their rank even harder, and um, you know that was just me. That was just the old way of me, and uh, it helped them make them feel that. You know, they've accomplished something. And to this very day, if they don't ever train or teach anyone, they can protect themselves really well. So that's a good thing, you know. That's the name that's of the game. a good thing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So you haven't mentioned it yet, and, but I got to ask. Um, okay. Tell me about your takedowns. Because you've done so many different takedowns that I have personally witnessed and or felt uh, we got to talk about that because you haven't mentioned it yet. You talked about the kicks and you talked about the fighting. You haven't talked about the takedowns yet. That's what I'm, you know, I got to ask. Well, well, a lot of the takedowns I learned was because of the judo that I trained with my instructor when I was a child. And one of the things that he specialized me in was to take the opponent down because I was training with adults. You got to remember, I was 11, 12 years old, and I was training with guys who were. I mean, I got pictures. You could see that one guy was like six foot seven. I mean, you know, just real big guys. And when you're 11 and 12 years old, you know, they're going to, they're, they're not going to go hard on you, but they're going to go hard enough just to bounce you around. However, because my, um, my legs were very strong when I was a youngster, I could take guys who were six foot down quickly. So I developed my lower legs uh, in strength as, as much as I possibly could. I mean, I would do four mile running and come back and do about 20 laps of duck walks, bunny hops, you know, different things. I would just build up my leg muscles to where, uh, I remember one time, uh, one of the students in the dojo at karate ways was about 390 pounds and six foot four. And he, uh, <laughs> He would always, he was so big to me because I was a small guy. He'd come at me and, you know, yell and scream. And you got a big guy come at you like that. You're like, uh, you know. So I had to learn to take him down. I was the only one in the dojo besides my instructor that could bring him to the floor. So the more he practiced with me, the more he came at me, the more I was able to take him down. And I learned how to maneuver my sweeping um, at different angles. So the minute you put your foot down is the minute I timed it and I could actually catch you when your foot was actually barely coming off the ground. I trained to a point to where if your foot was coming off the ground, even if it wasn't off the ground yet, but just coming up off, that's when I would take the student. Or if they were getting ready to move their body, it's just the way the body movement was. I was able to take down uh, if you were – if your stance was a little off, just a little, I could tell, and I was able to maneuver in the direction to take the foot from underneath my opponent, whatever, uh, or my sparring opponent. And uh, I could do a jump spinning heel hook and then come right into a dragon tail sweep. 
<laughs> jump, jump in the air, kick you in the head, and then when you're going forward, take your feet from underneath you. It, it was, and I did it in every direction when I was a kid. So as I got older, I taught our students. I'm gonna teach you guys some leg takedowns. I didn't teach them everything, but I taught them enough for them to be able to, <laughs> you know, develop their own way. You know, one of my students uh, just told me recently. He, he said, I think I can take you now. I said, well, I'm disabled, obviously. <laughs> he goes, yeah, but, but I don't know. I still think you might have something. I said, just remember. I said, I taught you everything you know, but not everything I know. <laughs> that sounds really familiar. I actually just talked to one of my teachers the other day. I told him, you know what, old man, I think I could take you now. And he, he kind of got, excuse me? He said, yeah, I didn't tell you I, I'm going to park the car on top of you before the fight starts, but, you know. <laughs> You did yeah, teach me not yeah. to, there's no such thing as a fair fight, right? Yeah. I'm so I'll park the car on top of you, then we'll start. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I was able to develop, uh, and I, I, to this very day, Steve, I, I just don't know how I do it. it. In my mind, I see it so easy, but then even when I taught my students, it was very difficult for them. We'd have to tra- practice over and over and over. I said, guys, it's just this angle, but I can't get it. And but in my mind, I see it so strong, you know. That's just the way I've always, I've always looked at it. Uh, I was able to take everything that I've learned through the years and apply it to our fighting ability. And uh, if if I did kicks, I did. There was a kick that I have, and it, I don't. I. I've seen it done, but I don't know if they know what they're doing or whatever, but there was a specific way that I kicked very, uh, very odd, very odd where I'm able to, uh, well, at the time with my right leg, I was able to like front snap kick and then come straight down over the top of your head as close as I can to your body. And you'd never see it coming. It was just the weirdest thing and call that a dragon tail whip. And it's done so fast that, once I come close, you know, the person jerks to block, but by that time I'm already hitting them in the head. So it's just one way I've developed my ability to be able to maneuver my my feet that way. Now I'm a little older, it's harder, but the younger guys, I teach them how to do it. Um, the one that I um, got from Cynthia Rothrock, you've probably seen her do it in the movies uh, where they get her in a headlock and she kicks him with the heel the back of the head. I forgot what they call that. Uh, uh, the scorpion kick. I forgot what they, yeah. Scorpion kick. Yeah. She called it that too. Um, but, uh, that one I got from her, but other than that, most, most of the ones I've developed, uh, was through the tungsudo or the hapkido, you know? Um, and I just added, like, if I would do a sidekick, I would wait to see what your body position was going to do. And then I would take the foot from underneath there. And whatever angle I could take you at, that's the angle we were going, you know. So it was, it was pretty. That's how I did most of the training on the the foot takedowns, and then of course. So uh, it sounds like you're crediting a lot of that takedown ability to basically timing and then the strength in your legs. Right. Yeah. So pro tip for anybody who's listening: work on your leg strength. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You work on your. Leg. Because at 11, 12, and 13 years old, my mother would take me to the gym and I would do leg presses. I could do, when I was like 12, uh, 300 pounds with one leg. 
that's how strong my legs actually are. And um, and I was, you know, but at 12 years old, I looked like I was 18. So everybody always mistook me for somebody older. So that's just the way it was. And, and you know, coming from my mom's era, they didn't have pads and the stuff that we do now. So we had to train without that stuff. And then when I got into a dojo, they were still like, hey, if you want to use pads, you can. It's not necessary. And so we would train with tennis shoes and train with just bare hands. And a lot of times we would we would hit each other. Man, it was my I got nailed one time in the ear and that was just a ring <laughs> You know, I'm That'll totally mess your equilibrium up. Oh man, I I'm 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 wondering how we made it back then because <laughs> man, we were you know what I mean? We'd like hitting each other in the face and just nailing each other just like when MMA came out, I thought we were doing that in the back alley practicing. <laughs> There's several of my teachers you that know? have had the exact same statement. Yeah, what's this MMA stuff? We were yeah. doing that back when there was no pads and there's no rules and there's no exactly. ref. And <laughs> yeah, we didn't have that. We didn't, you know, and, and then, of course, you know, when when they had now, you got to have this, you got to have that. But most of my guys... You know, I trained them to street fight, but never trained them to tournament fight. So all the tournament fighting was when we took them to the tournaments, that's when they learned. But most of the stuff that they learned up until they were about a brown belt, they didn't go to tournaments. They they started like uh, uh, Ephraim Palacios probably started fighting in a tournament when he was a brown belt. But from white to green, it was always bare hands, tennis shoes, just you know, I'm going to come at you. You got to protect yourself. It was that kind of thing, but he's very fast. I mean, he's very fast. Yeah. Fighting him is like fighting a spider monkey. Yeah. And then Mr. Mejia, same thing. He's, he, he works with the FBI now, but he's, uh, he's still, he still keeps fit, keeps shaking. He's like 40, going on 40 something now and still fast. They, even the agents that he works with says, Dude, didn't we just see him here? Where'd he go? You know, because <laughs> he disappears. Real. I trained him in the ninjutsu, so you know he was telling me a story that the agents were looking for him. They said, wasn't he? He was hearing them on the little earphone. He said, "Wasn't he just standing here? Wasn't he just here? Where did he go?" <laughs> he goes, "I got, I got to thank you, Sensei, for that one because that that helped me out a lot." Nice. <laughs> I said, All right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, most of the guys, you know, that were the first group before Mr. Palacios, a lot of them trained in the park, um, you know, in the rain, in the sun. And then the second group, which was Ephraim's group, they trained in the dojo, partial park, and then in the, the new dojo in Bellflower, and that's where they all trained out of there. But uh, there was no mat on the floor. It was just a carpet. Yep, I remember <laughs> well, that carpet. I was, uh, you know, I felt the bottom of that carpet a few times. <laughs> yeah. That was fun. Yeah, we would have a few guys. Yeah, Archie was funny because Archie would always go on the Internet when the Internet first came out. <laughs> he would always get us people to come in and fight with us. As Archie, don't do that. You never know who. <laughs> who's, somebody can kill us. And. <laughs> He, he was so excited about fighting, you know, oh, my gosh, this, this young. And I, I thought to myself, he's going to get us killed, you know. But we we had people walk in and, oh, yeah, Archie said to come out here and spar. And I'm like, oh, no. 
and he would smile and I said, Oh no, this guy, we don't know. The first time I met a gentleman named, he goes, I'm here to fight. Archie said, we could fight today. I'm like, Oh Lord, this guy is going to kill somebody. <laughs> and, uh, he, he came in there and, uh, he fought with Efren first and, Efren gave him a little uh, one-two, and he goes, man, this guy, he's pretty agile. And that's when Efren was really thin, and he would try to take him down. It was like trying to take the oak tree down because Efren was pretty pretty strong. And then and then he said, well, I want to fight your guys' instructor. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> I don't know if Archie was there that night. I can't remember. I was like, <laughs> something happened where he didn't fight Archie. I'm the one that had to fight him. So I, I had to literally just, you know, I did a kick called, it was a front heel kick, and it went right to his throat twice, and it took him down to the floor, and he held his throat, and I said, oh, my God, I think I, and he started coughing up blood, <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, my God, I think I killed him, get ready to call 911, and now the guy goes to the floor, coughs up blood, and then he looks at me, and goes, that was great, <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> And so, but yeah, we, we had, those were fun times actually, but it was, it was a scary time. <laughs> you can look back now in hindsight, it's fun. At the time it's kind of like, oh, oh crap. All right. Let's yeah. Do this. It was like, we didn't know who was coming in. <laughs> I always, when I trained the black belt, I would close the curtains and turn the lights down. So I didn't know walking in, you know, and, <laughs> so I didn't know who was going to come in next from one day to the next. You know, we always had a surprise visit. <laughs> what happens when you have an open door no. policy? Oh, yeah, well, we do, well, or we did, but you know, but we're just. Uh, you're such we, a genuinely wonderful, nice human being, too. So, I mean, you, I've never ever seen you turn down somebody who was there for the right reasons. You know, everybody who's ever asked you for something when I've been around, you've always you know, taken the time to try to see how you can help them. It's just a hallmark of a really classy yeah. person. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I always loved to share what I knew. And, you know, I mean, I would share with the gang members at the high school, you know, and they'd come and they want to fight with Efren. And, you know, they put on the boxing gloves. And I got a few of them out of the gangs because of that. I mean, I'd let them come in and clean, you know, and um, they'd want to, you know, do boxing or whatever. And we'd train them. But, but a lot of them got out of their gang, got their own businesses. So I kind of, I was kind of happy about that, you know. Um, and when they're kids like that, you have to be a little bit more stringent, you know, a little bit more stricter. That way they don't go running around. <laughs> yeah, hey, this guy showed me this, and then I'm going to go kick somebody fight. else's butt with it, you know? Exactly. You kind of feel – I had one student that did that. Um, he was a nice guy. He was one of them type of kids that was uh, kind of a rebel. He went to Mexico, and uh, he he just, you know, he went over there or whatever. But he came, I hadn't seen him in, in weeks, and when he came back, he had uh, his throat was cut from ear, almost ear to ear. Oof. And he told me, yeah, he told me, because I was in Mexico and uh, got robbed, and they, they sliced my throat open. I said, oh, my goodness. I mean, it was like ear to ear almost. And I said, why don't you come to the my dojo, and I'll train you a little bit to protect you. However, <laughs> I had no idea what he was doing, but but I wanted him to protect himself next time so i showed him some knife movements and how to get out of them and different things. i said with knives you're always going to get cut so you know this is but if we could try to get the damage down at least as possible you know? mm -hmm. not from ear to ear and he just kind of smiled he was going underground 
and he was making money off of what I was teaching him. So I had to cut him off. <laughs> you know? He went six months of training with me, and he was winning every underground fight. Well, that that goes back to that original to... statement there. Is, you know, people looking for it for the right reasons. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Which I didn't mind so much. If uh, I knew about it, then I could train him to fight in the regular you know, tournaments and stuff. Right. But now he wanted to, he wanted to do the other way, so. But yeah, that's, you know, basis on that. Anything else? Well, of course. <laughs> I'm open. <laughs> I just had about four or five different directions pop into my head, so I'm debating on which direction I want to go next with it. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, here we go. So I'm going to say I heard this story from one of your black belts who's going to remain nameless because um, I'll okay. let you I'll let you take care of it on the back end if need be. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't call anybody out here. Okay, oh um, I okay. heard I heard a story about you and uh, one of your black belts who you were in a kind of a bad part of town, and happened to walk through you know an area where there happened to be a couple of gangs that were let's say interacting with each other, and when you guys came near there, apparently a couple of them on either side recognized you and said, "Hold on, go ahead, Sensei, we'll let you go through." <laughs> I'm trying to remember that incident. <laughs> Oh, there was a there was a few times, but I, I can't remember which well, one. Well, that it was. confirms the story at least. So I don't need to know which one it was, but that, that tells me that story was legit. Whichever one it was, it's legit. <laughs> yeah, gangbangers stop fighting, so that way true. they can, uh, you know, they they stop fighting and let Sensei oh, go through. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I I know I know. Okay, now I understand. I know which one that was. Yeah, that's a true story. That none of the the kids were fighting. It was almost like two different gangs. It was probably about 20 kids all together. And here I'm walking down the street and they literally stopped me and said, wait a minute, uh, this is the sensei. And they're like, well, who? The sensei. I said, guys, I'm just passing through. <laughs> and, they, and they all split up and I just kind of walked up walking. <laughs> Moses parting yeah, the waters. That was a story. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was a true story. Yeah, I, I, I rolled laughing when I, when they told me that one. I was like, you know, just imagining a couple of gangbangers just sitting there. Yeah, hold on. Go ahead, Sensei. On yeah, both yeah, sides it, of the equation. That's that just really crazy. Happened. Yeah, that really happened. There's a couple of stories, actually. <laughs> yeah, that really happened. That's funny. That was that. Uh... <laughs> I never it got is. the chance to ask you whether or not that was true or not, so that that's really cool. Tells you tells you what kind of reputation you carry. <laughs> yeah, no, that was true. That was true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, because I I worked at the school district, and I worked with gang members, and a lot of the kids, you know, were from the gangs, and most of the stuff that I had to do was on campus, because it's different type uh, different type of rules on the campus with when it's a a continuation school in California, we're allowed to lay hands on the students if they get out of line because that's why they're in the continuation school. Mm -hmm. You know, the regular campuses are different, but the, the continuation, you know, at that time, and uh, well, oh, we had some doozies, some real doozies. And um, it, it was a, you know, it was, that's where I got some of my students, but see, I recognized their ability to fight on some of them. So that's where some of them came into the dojo and became my fighters. 
I just took harnessed their energy from negative to positive, trained them. Somebody said, you're going to train somebody who's going to kill you one day that's going to use what you, what you I said, not one of them is going to come against me nope. and use what I taught them against me. They're not going to do it. They may get mad at me. They may walk away, whatever, but they're going to always thank me or know where they've learned their martial arts. And they're going to know I ain't going to chase this guy unless I have a gun. <laughs> yeah. But uh, in the schools, um, there was an incident one time I was um, – this is how I met one of the teachers who happened to be a Capoeira master, and he became my student. I had a student run into the classroom, young Hispanic a young kid who was probably about maybe 14, 15, and he's screaming off the top of his lungs. And then I I turned, and the classroom door was darkened by a huge Samoan kid. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't just one. It was four of them. <laughs> and they weren't on, they weren't on campus, they, they, you know, and you had four Samoans, watch this, four Samoans darken the door, chasing this little Hispanic boy. He was 14 years old, 15. He's running around the room, got one Samoan, three of them coming up. from They couldn't recognize if I was one of the kids or something. I don't know. But I, I told the guy, I said, hey, you can't be coming in the classroom during school hours. And, he, of course, he cussed me out or whatever. So I waited for this Samoan guy and this this kid. Uh, the only thing that saved him was the desk in front of him. <laughs> and he got behind the desk, and that Samoan guy um, turned his back on me. And the only thing that I could do was I didn't know who they were. They were chasing this guy. They came on campus, and I said to myself, my duty is to protect these kids. That's my duty. My responsibility is for the teachers. I'm staff. I'm here. I'm a public officer. I got to protect this kid. So I go up behind this huge Samoan kid, and I grab him in a marine chokehold. But then I said, "This is not going to stop him because I mean, you. Could, I, I mean, I, he was picking me up. <laughs> so I planted myself in a neutral bow, and I flipped backwards. And when I did. I barely missed the desk that was behind me, <laughs> but not this guy. His whole head hit the desk. <laughs> Oof. And he was on the floor. I had him in a marine choke. But now I'm on the bottom. I have him in a marine chokehold from the back, a rear chokehold. But I still realized I have three more Samoans. Okay, these guys are, you know how big Samoans are. Big guys. Yeah, a lot I of mean, them are called tiny. Little yeah, <laughs> these were tiny, tiny. Let's just say. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at I looked at them, and the guy goes, "Sensei," and I went, "Yeah." And he told the other guy that I had. He goes, "Get off the of sensei, man! Leave that man alone! That man's gonna kill you!" <laughs> and he goes, "Hey, sensei, you gonna come over for Thanksgiving?" I said, "I'll think about it." Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the invite. We'll talk later. <laughs> Oh my God! I mean, I I didn't even recognize the kid, but the kid recognized me. And I, when he was younger, I trained him. I, I don't remember him before he's he became now, tiny. But but uh, I'm sorry. Before he became tiny. Oh my gosh! He, you know, I've trained a lot. I mean, I've trained kids from the age of like nine years old and up. 
I had one guy come into my dojo, big old black guy, tall, probably about six foot five, huge, like muscle bound. Is I'm looking for sensei, <laughs> and I'm sitting at my desk. I think he's in the back office. I'm go get that. And you know, he just came up to me. He goes, "No, I know your sensei." And I said, "Oh, okay," because <laughs> I didn't have my uniform on. I said, "I don't recognize you." He goes, "No, I just wanted to come and say thank you." I'm like, "Oh God!" I said, "The way you came in, like you're gonna kill sensei here somewhere." <laughs> and he goes, "No," because man, you, you know, you changed my life. But it, it, the the fruit that I still reap, you know, I could be in the mall. Hey, sensei, you know, um, just fruit that you see kids that never even trained that I was able to give them maybe one lesson on how to hold a fist or, you know, how to stand or, you know, something. And uh, it, it was, it, it's been very beneficial. So yeah, that gang fight was beneficial because they all, a lot of them knew me, they parted ways and I was <laughs> able to walk through and get the safety, you know, that's just, it was always like that. And, and, uh, Ephraim and myself would always wound up in a situation somehow. So it was always, that's just the way it always was, you know. So you're saying it was Ephraim's fault? Yeah. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> He's going to no, smack me next time he sees me if he hears this. <laughs> that's okay. I don't mind. Yeah, I'll, I'll let Ephraim smack me around. Yeah, I'll let him. Yeah, there we go. I'll let him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, it, but you know, all of the art that I've learned, you know, has come in handy, and and a lot of the work that I've done through the years, you know, I've worked with school districts, I've worked with, you know, I've worked um, investigations and different things like that, and it's coming pretty handy, you know, you know, most of the times that I've had to take someone down, even working. Um, they feel like they float to the ground. Every one of them have told me, I don't know what you did. And they're in handcuffs. They're sitting down. And I don't know what you did, but I thought for sure I was going to hit the ground hard. He goes, but it was like you carried me to the floor. I said, no, that's just I broke your fall. You know, it wasn't really carrying you. It was just kind of like helping you down without hurting you. Yeah. you know? I'm helping you to sit in a position <laughs> rather than coming smack into ground with the planet. Exactly. Yeah, you need to exactly. be over here. I'm going to help you get there without just, you know, body slamming you. Exactly. Now, if you'd like, we could when do it the other way. Work... <laughs> yeah, exactly. When I first started working for the school district, you know, my boss says, oh, here it says you, you do martial arts. I said, yes, sir. Well, we can't really use that, you know, um, the martial arts itself. I said, don't worry. I says, I, I know how to maneuver. Oh, okay. So he hired me. And this is when I first started working for the school district. And uh, he was talking to me in the office and somebody screamed out, there's a fight. So he goes, Armando, take those kids down and, and hold them down. I said, okay. So I go in there and I take both of them down and they're sitting on each other, <laughs> laying on top of each other. And I'm just sitting there. He started laughing because I didn't, I didn't think you were going to, you know, I thought you were going to hurt them. He goes, but boy, you came at them and both of them were on the floor laying on them and you're just sitting on them. I said, well, you told me to take them and sit them down. Yeah, he told me not to hurt them. So I just sat <laughs> them down. That's, that's when they first called me sensei. 
that's where everybody, all my guys only know me sensei because of that one day. That's why they never knew what Sifu was or, or anything. They said, everybody just heard sensei, so they've always called me sensei. <laughs> so what does sensei mean for you? Teacher. It means teacher in Japanese, you know. Let, me, re let me rephrase you know, my question. What does holding that title mean to you? Oh, um, one who teaches not only martial arts, but a life instructor. He holds a degree in, because any fool can hold a degree. You know, I've seen Kempo guys, you know, they have a degree, but their attitudes are worse than their degree. I mean, their attitudes are really bad. And to me, I don't care if they have a fifth degree or first degree. If your attitude is the attitude of walking around with your nose backwards and just, I can beat everybody. That's not a sensei. Once you hit that degree of third degree and say, I'm a sensei or a sifu, you know, the attitude has to be one of a, one who can explain to the student, um, give them a direction in life. Doesn't mean you control them. It just gives them a direction, you know, um, as they get older and their kids and so on and so forth, as well as a martial arts instructor, you're giving them, you know, you're taking their life in your hands and it must be personal. Uh, you know, um, you're teaching them to defend themselves. If you teach them kicking wrong and they throw a kick and they damage their, their body while they're trying to kick and then they get beat up, um, then that's the sensei's fault. But if you taught them as best as you know how and they never listened because they didn't pay attention, that's their fault. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had a student... You know, he was a yellow belt. Uh, I kept him at a yellow belt. He was an older guy, but I kept him as a yellow because he was an ex-gang member. And he loved to fight. And I told him, look, I don't want you using what I'm teaching you to go out there in the streets. No, no, man, I'm not going to do that because those days are over, blah, blah, blah. He's walking home one night after getting off of work. And uh, some guy uh, jumps out of the – jumps from the, the side of a car or something and tries to fight with him. Well, he does really well takes him to the floor. He looks up and there's a guy with an aluminum baseball bat and hits him right in the face, knocks Ooh. his tooth out and everything. And he comes to class, comes to class the next day. I mean, his face is bruised up and I said, dude, what happened to you? I thought you weren't going to fight. No, man. He goes, I took, they were trying to rob me. I took a guy down. He goes, I looked up and he had a friend with the bat. I said, what have I taught you? Never look down when you take someone down keep your head up i said he goes man i i go did you learn your lesson he goes yes very much so he goes, but i i don't know what to do with my tooth i said you gotta go to the doctor bro <laughs> <laughs> he, had, he had his tooth in his hand he's like what do i do with this go to the dentist <laughs> he had no tooth in. yeah so he he was one of them you know kind of like slow guys but but his, his attitude of fighting was great. He just was just slow in his mind. He got up to his, uh, I think I got him up to his green belt before he ended up quitting and, and got married and all kinds of stuff. But but uh, he he still remembers, you know, and he remembered that day. He goes, I'll take them down, but I'll kneel on them, but I won't bend over and hold them down. That's a smart move. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. So that's what it means to me as a life instructor, someone 
where your student can come to you and, you know, you can give them a direction. And that's honorable. You know, that's when your students, after their training and they come to you years later, hey, you know, I've got this problem. What would you do? You know, and you just become their instructor in life. Some don't like it, you know, because you're hard on them and some, you know, and there's a reason, you know, you're hard on some of them to keep them from getting in trouble. Hopefully they'll they'll keep their eyes focused and they'll continue in the direction, the right path. But I've had students come to me and learn and then quit and then just are in prison because they never learned, you know, but they're calling me from prison. Hey, you know, I need your help. But, you know, that's the sad thing. You watch them from youngsters going into the teen years. You think they're going to do good. And then all of a sudden they just flop out in life, you know, and that, that's, that's the hard thing of watching uh, students go through. But the ones that make it, you know, like Mr. Palacios made it, Archie's made it, Ricky and all of them, they're doing well. They got their families, their little children and everybody, and they're just happy campers. And, and that's what I'm glad I could do, you know, to be a instructor. And, and to this very day, some of them call me, some of them don't, you know, but it's just, I just keep it open for them. You know what I mean? Well, you, you know, obviously you're taking the time out with me, and I'm not even one of your lineage students, so I really do appreciate you taking the time. <laughs> yes, no problem, no problem. Well, I'm like always said, here for everybody. That's that's what I was just gonna say. Like I've I've literally I've literally seen you help every single person who's ever asked you, at least for ones when I've been there. So. Yeah, you know, I think a grandmaster of an organization should be available for the under ranks, under black belt, under. Ninth, tenth degrees, you know. I know the ones that get to their sixth and their seventh. They've they've got it down pat and everything like that. But as they get older, they watch their bodies decay, and and their body movement becomes bad. But I always tell them, you don't have to be bad just because you get older. You work with what you got, you know, and you get better at what you do have. You know, right now I've been in a wheelchair for seven months because they're getting ready to amputate my right leg. But my wife sits here and she looks at me and she goes, you act like nothing is wrong with you. you. You still do your form from your wheelchair. You teach your kids in the wheelchair. And even the students come by, you still teach them. I said, honey, just because one leg gone doesn't mean my brain's gone. <laughs> you know, it keeps me motivated to be able to use what I know to teach them still. But when they give me my other my plastic foot, I beat somebody with the, <laughs> my plastic foot. I'll be all right. <laughs> she goes, nothing's gonna stop you, huh? I said, nope. I may be limping a little bit, but I'm still gonna move somehow. <laughs> That's determined and motivated. <laughs> yeah, you know, because when you know when I was when I was blind, she told me the same thing. She, "That's not even stopping you. You can't see, but how are you?" I said, you know what? I picture it in my mind and I imagine it. And I go from there. Yeah, I may not stop a blow that somebody comes at me full force. And I mean, but once they get close to me and I get clocked one time and my emotion doesn't rise up, if I can feel their face, I'm going for the body. And I can now where to go from there. She goes, ah, uh, she goes, <laughs> she worries about me. She goes, you're going to end up killing yourself. I said, well, I'll die with my rank on. That's what it takes. <laughs> so what's your secret to staying motivated through all of the hardships you're currently and presently and in, in the uh, recent past endured you know it's passion i have a 
deep passion for martial arts. I've I've had it since I was a child. At first, my goal was being like Bruce Lee, you know. But with all the sicknesses that I've been through, I've relied solely on just the passion that I have for it. Um, and if I can teach one more student, if I can just get one more student to their black, but just one more, it's like it'll be like teaching a hundred students because that one student might become an instructor of 50 students. And those 50 become instructor. You never know who you're going to teach. That's going to be the gold mine of just teaching your legacy. If you can let your legacy go forward through somebody, even if it's just one kick or, you know, one punch or whatever the case may be, you know, your legacy will go on. And when I'm dead and gone, you know, like, like Parker, he, I mean, all of that stuff that he taught everybody didn't go to the grave with him. He was smart. He taught people to where his legacy goes on, and, and they're still recognizing him how many years after his death? It'll be 28 in uh, <laughs> you know I mean? eight days. Yeah. And they're still, they're still Mr. Parker, like if he's alive. And to them, he's alive in them. And, you know, I may not have as many students as he does, of course, but I know one thing, you know, the students that I've taught, some of them, you know, that have been through some hard times in their life, it's brought them through. They're going to always remember. So to me, it's just a deep-seated passion. And, you know, if I should pass away or whatever the case may be, you know, one thing I do have is, you know, I've taught others and hopefully others will teach others and Maybe one will, but either way, the passion's going to continue and the legacy will continue. You know, that's just my my thought on that one. That's beautiful. Know. Yeah. So, what advice do you give your I, students I, then to, that helps them to stay motivated and make sure you know, help them to persevere when they've got rough times? That that's very hard because they have to. They have to. Uh, how is it? If they don't get lit with the passion, if they don't catch the, they don't catch the same passion that I have, one may make it through. Even some of the best ones that I have, I can see that they're not passionate about it. And I, I can see maybe there's one, maybe there's two, but at the most two. I have only a few black belts, and and you know it's like I told my black belts. I don't promote black belts. I promote students, and then I promote teachers. And if I only have 10 black belts, it's because I promoted one teacher out of those 10. And I said, if those 10 don't survive learning any or teaching anyone else, I still have one. So I, I get them to understand that they have to develop their own passion. They have to do it. And eventually, I can only teach them up to whatever I can teach them. And they have to walk away, learn something else to enhance their arsenal, knife fighting, kicking, or whatever, and learn things to enhance their arsenal so that they can become passionate. Because once the passion dies, it's over with. You know, you, they're going to hang in their belt up one time, and that'll be it because they work so hard to where they, <laughs> they know what it takes to get back to that passionate part. And they know it's going to be a real tough uphill climb to get there so if they don't keep it going even if they're just not teaching nobody they're going to end up losing it so i've always taught them that you know uh 
Efren and Marwin and Archie and you know, all, all the ones that came under me that are black belts. I always told them, like, guys, if, if you get to your first degree black belt, um, this is what I used to tell them when they were under ranks. If you get to your first degree black belt, you have to remember you just started learning. Yeah. Anything I mean, under the, your the first term degree. For a first degree that came down from you know, Kano's system of uh, you know, naming convention is Shodan, which it doesn't mean first degree. It means you know beginning student. Exactly. Or first level exactly. student. And, and I tell them, you're just barely learning. You're barely learning. You're going to do everything over again, but even more so because now you're working in degree a degree of understanding and a knowledge. And, and every time you get to that next degree, that's an accomplishment. So right now, you know, the ones that are in fourth degree or sixth degree, I said, can't lose your passion. And I told him, I said, when I was sick with my legs before, and when I got my 10th degree, Chuck was telling me, well, just, uh, you know, do what you can. I said, no, I'm going to do the form. He goes, oh, because I had just become crippled. And I said, when I get off of this, I'm going to do the form and I'm going to bring my test in. And he wasn't pushing it. You know, he felt that I, I did good enough. Mm-hmm. And I could have just done it that way. But I said, no, I want my students to know that, you know, that if I can do it, they can do it. And if they're not sick, how much more should they do it, <laughs> you know, if they have a passion about it? Yep. You know, I said, there's there's, there's no giving up. And my form wasn't perfect, but even Chuck said, man, you could not tell that you were crippled at all the way you moved on that form. You, you just came back. I said, I got up. You know, I went to the doctors. Everything was good to go. The doctor said, go ahead and practice. I went and did my form for my test, uh, my 10th degree. Um, and, I, I mean, I didn't move as fast as I wanted to, but that's because my body wouldn't let me. I mean, you're laying down for 12 months. <laughs> yeah, it might take a little bit so out of you. Sure. Yeah, you know, so. <laughs> but <laughs> it was a degree of passion that I had, and I wanted to accomplish a 10th degree, not get it, because to me, just giving me a rank does not make me feel like I've earned it. I had to earn it. And every degree I earned my rank, every degree, you know, I earned it. I, I did the test. I even said, I'll do more. No, you don't have to do more. Just do the form. But I liked the way they did that because it made, you know, made me passionate about the next degree and the next degree. And by the time I hit 10th degree, I was hurting, but I did it, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, I set the standard for my students, you know. And some of them, you know, they <laughs> – they appreciate me, and some of them don't appreciate you, but that's just part of life. <laughs> yeah. It's the hardest the part about being is. a teacher. Yeah, yeah. You, you cannot that. reach all of them, and that's tough. No. Yeah, yeah. You want to, but you can't. You know, but the ones that, that you know, got their ranks and, and stuff like that, I'm pretty proud of them. You know, that, you know, I see Archie teaching. That kind of makes me feel good that he's still he's still progressing. And uh, he wants to keep Yeah, he's going to be on the show soon, too. Yeah, that's awesome. Tell him I said, hey. <laughs> I will do so. In fact, I'll tell him to call you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, he, I did have really, a, he did really well. I have a statistic here. We were talking about, you know, sometimes it's it's hard to keep everybody motivated. And it's hard to, you know, when your students start drop out or whatnot. Um, here's a statistic I pulled the numbers on just, you know, from an industry standard. You lose about 50% of your students every level, right? 
So with that, right. if we look at the IKCA structure, for example, just using that as a ballpark, so it's white, yellow, orange, purple, blue, green, brown, and black, right? Yeah. Know, some people have stripe ranks, some people don't in there, whatever the case may be. If we just use those as a starting point, that's one in 190 people that start out that make black belt. Yeah. That is 0.005% of the amount of people that started mm. made black belt. Wow. In any other field of life, I mean, basically you'd never make it as a baseball player with a .005 batting average, you know. You'd never make it as a basketball player, never make it as a competitive shooter. You know, you wouldn't be, you'd fail out of any college you were in with that kind of success rate. But those are the people that make black belt in the martial arts. And that's, yeah. not, that's not even talking Amazing. about the percentages that then go on to second, third, fourth. Um, I, I did the math when I had A.C. Wiley on the podcast and – the math for what it takes to make it to where you're at with 10th degree is just absolutely astronomically low. Wow. And that is, that is really, truly an accomplishment to make it as far as you've gone. And then now watching your students, you know, go that much further themselves, it really is an accomplishment. And it really is a testament to, you know, the character of your students and the lessons that they learn from you as their teacher. Well, that's, that feels good. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I, I, I looked at it as a 10th degree, I thought to myself, not too many people make it, you know, to this level. Even there's nothing to, you know, you're not really learning anything, but I think it's the passion of teaching a student and, and, and continuously training and continuously teaching someone else. They actually fizzle out. They, they die out and, you know, they can't go on. Oh, I made it to third. Oh, I'm happy with fourth. Oh, I made it to fifth, you know. But I always thought to myself, I want 10th and I'm going to fight to get it, <laughs> you know? And I had a, you know, a couple of, you know, unnamed uh, people from, I won't say who, uh, kind of mock, mock me. And I told him, I said, look, you and I are the same age. I said, in my condition right now, you know, with, with what my condition is, um, just over a year ago, you would not survive with me on the street. And they just got real quiet and said, and you might not survive with me even if I'm in a wheelchair. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> and they got, they got quiet, you know. Well, you know, you, you, you don't look like a, you know, you, you move like Parker. I said, look, I didn't, I didn't train to move like Parker. I trained to move like me, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, I used what I know works in the street, and I've used it on multiple opponents. I wonder how many people you've used it throughout your lifetime on a continuous basis. Mine was almost every day of work. So I know what I do, karate connection, works. Mm-hmm. I used one time, oh my God, I used one time, I had three gang members attack me and one of them came from my left side and I did gathering dragons from the left side and I spun, I don't know how I did it, but I <laughs> I did the two parries and I, instead of stepping off to the with my right leg, I stepped behind my right leg with my left leg, spun from a twist stance, rammed him right into a metal pole. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> and, and that was a gathering, and all you heard was clink, <laughs> you know. Gong. And, and I didn't do anything else. Yeah, I didn't do anything else. And but just the opening of Gathering Dragon, I was able to push him right into a pole. I said, and it stopped three assailants at one time, one time. People that were standing around didn't even realize because they were standing next to me, 
And all they seen was these guys dropping, but they didn't see how I was doing it because it was done so fast. Well, that's, I mean, if you're and you know, I, I, three seconds in a guy in a fight for a Kempo guy is a really long time. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. I try to keep it at a good level. Yeah, I mean, that, that's an right eternity now, probably, in Kempo time. Maybe you know six I mean? seconds. <laughs> yeah. I, I, was in my, I was in my wheelchair the other day, and uh, a friend of mine who's a black belt in uh, Shotokan, he goes, I don't know if you can actually move in your wheelchair. I said, well, just surprise me. So he comes up from behind me and grabs my right side of the, the handle, spins me around. <laughs> when he did, I came with a hammer fist. He came forward. I came back up with an arm bar, but I <laughs> got him right in the throat. And I spun back around, palm-tailed him in the back of the head, hit him just like gathering dragon, and took him to the floor. <laughs> and he goes, oh, my God, you killed somebody with that. <laughs> and then parked he the wheelchair goes, oh on top goodness. of him. Cause yeah, and then I, I had the wheelchair, you know, and he, he's, oh, my God, you could go, I thought for sure you were going to miss and hit me hard. I said, no, bro, I just want you to know that don't underestimate a person in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't do it. Don't mess with me, bro. That's awesome. <laughs> one of my students that was sitting there because they were all just hanging out and said, bro, I could have told you don't do that, but I wanted to see if he could do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> the Zensei don't play, man. Don't mess with him. <laughs> Wheelchair or not. <laughs> he just awesome. has that little spring action going. <laughs> but, you know, even David, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, he's been, you know, and it was partial gathering dragons, partial beheading the dragon, and partial something else <laughs> all at one time. <laughs> You know, it was great, but yeah, that's so you know. But I believe that's just—it's just passion. You know, I have such a passion, and you know, being in a wheelchair, you know, I get a little nervous because I have to, you know, uh, go places in my wheelchair, and I don't—I see. I had one guy following me the other day, and I said, "Oh, please, don't let him like he's gonna rob me." And you know, I went into an open area, and he walked by and said, "How are you?" And I'm like, well, "I'm I'm good," <laughs> you know. But I just thought to myself, this is, you know, sitting in this thing kind of makes me feel like, you know, I'm cramped and I'm just kind of, you know, just cornered, you know. I can understand why handicapped people are the way they are. They feel cornered, you know. But the good thing about the martial arts, it's always kept me where I have a peace of mind and I could I could feel, you know, because what I know, I feel more confident even though I know, okay, if somebody robbed me, they can knock me to the floor, but I still have my use of my left leg. I still have my arms and I still, still feel that confidence, you know, even, even without my right leg, you know, I still feel confident. So, it, you know, that's the good thing. I could, I could feel like I could protect myself if I'm in a wheelchair or if I'm in the, in, in a bathroom stall or whatever the case may be, you know, I still feel protected. I guess that makes a difference on a lot of people. If they learned martial arts, whether it be Kempo or whether it be, you know, whatever, and they're disabled, you know, if they knew how to use a knife or a, a stick, you know, that that ability of being confident is, is a tremendous thing. Mm-hmm. It's a tremendous thing. Absolutely. You know, um, yeah, that's... That's the way I feel. And the students that I have that, you know, like Efren and all them, they're, they're watching. You're watching, is Sensei going to break down, you know, or is he going to be strong? And, 
you know, Efren will come and visit me and he goes, how do you feel? Do you feel like you can't protect yourself? I said, no, I think, I think it would be, I think it would surprise the mess out of anybody. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it would surprise him big time. He goes, yeah, I know it. Cause, he goes, I've watched you move from a chair and sat in a chair and take people down. As a matter of fact, he was reminding me of a story. He goes, you remember that one time you were sitting in a, a Walmart? And I, I'm, I'm thinking, I don't remember. Yeah, one of the guys was messing with you. Come on, Sensei, you're just messing around. He goes, and I don't know what you did, but you had him so fast, wrapped underneath your legs, arm barred, and you were sitting there reading your newspaper. And you still had him sitting there, and you said, are you finished now playing? <laughs> <laughs> He goes, you didn't even get up not one time. You didn't even look like you moved. I turned around and looked back, and he was all twisted around your legs. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was good. <laughs> you reminded me of that. Yeah, so I just I just know it's passion that I have. Right on. Yeah. All right, my guest here today on the Artist of Motion has been Grandmaster Armando DeLoa. Uh Armando, I've known you for probably 15 years at this point. He's a wonderful human being, excellent teacher, excellent technician in your own right. Uh, you've raised a cadre of students that are going to carry your legacy forward. So for our listening audience out here today, what message would you like to send them going forward in the future? Uh, train. Train with confidence and be passionate. Um, never be discouraged. Always remember their plateaus as you get higher. But you're going to get higher and keep your mind focused. Don't lose your passion from your training. Keep focused and you'll always do so much better. And don't worry about what people say. You know, they think your kick is bad. You just keep working at it. Eventually, you'll become faster, you'll become better, and you'll become stronger in, in the area of your art. And uh, train in your art, train strong, train good. If uh, anybody out there would like to contact you for any you know, any opportunities or whatnot, how would you like them to contact you, sir? They can uh, – well, right now they can contact me through Facebook on Seagung, S-I-G-U-N-G, DeLoa, on Facebook. Um, my information is there. Um, um, if they want to do any private lessons at this moment, I'm just kind of waiting on some things. But in the future, I'll be doing – more teaching, and I want to be able to impart knowledge to people in the martial arts. So that's where you can you can contact me. I'm not doing anything major at this present time, but uh, in the near future, I'm planning to open up another dojo. I'm just waiting for the right opportunity. Good deal. So, Seagung Deloa on Facebook, best way to get a hold of him. Yes. He's been my guest today for the last hour plus. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I really, really appreciate you taking out the time out of your day to get with me here. I know you've got a lot of stuff going on, so thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Thank you for inviting me and appreciating. It has been my pleasure. Have a great rest of your day, sir. I will link up with you here soon. All right, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. Bye for now. Well, that was my conversation, and I have to say I am extremely honored I was able to get the chance to speak with Grandmaster Deloa. He was preparing for his upcoming medical procedures and we had to shoehorn our time slot around a couple of times to get it done. But it was important to him and I am truly grateful he wanted to appear here on our show. Staying positive is really a hallmark of this man the entire time I've known him. He's generous and cares deeply about helping people. He's a wonderful human being and I am proud to not only call him a brother in the arts, but a friend in life. 
Once again, I want to send a shout out and thank you to Grandmaster Armando Deloa, to Podbean, to Anastasio Vasquez, and to Marcus Moore. Episode number four will feature one of my buddies and I shooting the breeze about his exploits and how we met, discussing his lineage and his take on numerous subjects in the arts. He's a career military vet and we thank him for his service. Tune in next episode to hear from Christopher A.C. Wiley. Find us at artistofmotion.com, artistofmotion.com slash iTunes if you want to get us on iTunes and subscribe there, or artistofmotion.com slash Google Play if you'd like to subscribe on Androids. On our Facebook page, Artists of Motion, email at pod at artistofmotion.com. I am Steve Zalazowski. Catch you next time on the Artist of Motion podcast.